3: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Sunderland are the latest visitors to Fortress Home Park to leave with nothing as Argyle purr against Tony Mowbray's Black Cats. Morgan Whitaker and Finnazzas both added a million pound each to their asking as their goals are the difference, leaving the Mackhams a lot to ponder on the EFL's longest trip home. Joining me tonight is Mr Karaoke himself, Joe Bell. I hear you celebrated that win Well,
2: I certainly partied the night away yes and the swan will forever remember my dancing on the ceiling by Lionel Richie that is for sure
3: we'll have to get that in audio format for the uh the end of season pod you and John could do a little karaoke off talking of John please don't answer the literal first question I've got for you about Sam's comments but how's things
1: by the river where they used to build the boats. That's my that, that would have been that would have been my request for karaoke for for Joe for last night. I'm good. I'm wondering what Swan Joe startled with his
3: singing. S- Cyril the Swan, Peter Swan. <laughs> we don't talk about Peter Swan in these parts, John. And stepping in last minute for Top Fans Trust board member Sam Down is Ben. How's things?
4: Yeah, I'm not sure if my post-nip switch rant was the last time I was on, but definitely in much better spirits than then for sure. It's a shame that no one else gets to see how excited you are, how pleased with yourself you are when you when you nail a good pun in the introduction. It's your little face is beautiful. It's a shame no one gets to see that.
3: I think that might be the first time ever that somebody said my little face
1: is beautiful, so I'm going to say that compliment. And 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 when Aaron does eventually nail a good pun, uh, we'll be sure to put it on. <laughs>
3: Not long after the final whistle, Sam Downs said, and I quote, and I don't often break GDPR, uh, but Sam Downs said in a group chat, I don't think we deserve to win on the balance, but that's not because we weren't good. We were good, but Sunderland were utterly spectacular. What do you make of those comments and and the game in general?
1: I don't agree with Sam. Uh, I can see where he's coming from, don't get me wrong, but I think he massively is over-egging how good Sunderland were personally uh, I think Ben might be more on Sam's side of things so I'd be interested to hear his take uh, in a moment but for me I thought Sunderland were a side who yeah, look, look they're a very good side um they're one of a number that I expect to be in that kind of chasing pack for probably that final playoff spot which they um actually did get last season so yeah Sunderland were clearly a very good side I mean they're they're one of a number that I expect to be in the hunt for that That final playoff place. Obviously, they were in that picture last year and and somewhat unexpectedly did finish sixth. You know, so they're a side that have recent experience of being in the playoffs. Played a lot of slick football i thought some of their exchanges from one side of the pitch to the other were very very good roberts and, and particularly jack clark uh on the wings were you know a constant threat with their with their footwork as we expected before the game but i thought they were blunt up front you know i think it's a side that very clearly is missing ross stewart their talismanic striker who went to southampton on deadline day and i believe has yet to feature for Saints, or certainly been injured for most of his most of his time there and, and is a player who struggled with injuries in the past as well well, I felt the Sunderland sort of lacked someone of his presence up front to, to you know, get his head on, on the end of some of the balls they were putting in the box. Yeah, they hit the post twice, you know, with, with a pretty good sort of snapshot from Bellingham. A man on the train home remarks to me yesterday that he felt that if that was on target, we might have blocked it or it might have been saved, which I think is a potential. Actually, a, a good point. that There were quite a lot of defenders in between him and the goal uh, and, and, you know, in, in sort of snaking the ball in between their legs. He's, he's hit the post, not the, not the back of the net. Um, But anyway, you know, a, a decent effort. Obviously, we've, we've ridden our luck there a little bit. Likewise, with the second half header, um, just not only hit the post, but kind of ricocheted right back across the face of goal. And their lads tried to put in the rebound that it's just too difficult an angle. But beyond that, I don't think they really threatened us too much. I mean, they threatened us in terms of pressure, certainly, in terms of putting balls into the box and making us defend. But I can't really point you to too many other really golden opportunities that they've had. Um, Their striker ran through on goal uh, pretty late in the day, but took an absolutely horrendous first touch, which allowed our defenders to get back and cover. You know, if his touch was better, maybe that could have been a good chance. But I don't think it really goes down as one because the touch was was so bad. Likewise, a, a volley they sort of sliced wide. There's the header at the end. In real time, I thought that was going over the bar even before Cooper touched it. Having watched it back, I think it is going in, but you'd expect Cooper to save it. I mean, it's a good save, but it's it's not... Yeah, it's pretty much straight down his... Um... Straight down where he's standing in terms of the the line of the ball. Um, obviously, it's at a difficult height. So, but but apart from that, you know, I don't think they had too many chances at all, really. And certainly, only a, only a couple of really clear ones. Whereas we have scored two absolutely outrageous goals. I wouldn't even call those clear chances for us because they were they were so. Good and and kind of crafted out of nothing, but we then had a one on one for Mumba in the second half. We've had Bundu, um, you know, putting that one over the bar from a wonderful little flick back from Adam Randall, Whittaker and Wayne. Kind of were very close to fashioning a very good chance in in the beginning of the second half. So it's not like we, you know, were were out created. I don't think in terms of in terms of clear opportunities. I don't think we were. I think it was a, a game of relatively few clear opportunities. In fact, for for both sides, um, they put the pressure on us, of course, in the second half, but. You'd expect that, you know, they were two 0 down at half time, and I thought in the first half, when that went, you know, when when it wasn't a situation where one side was chasing the game, it was a very even sort of end to end lively encounter between two teams who look pretty much at the same standard. So, so I don't, you know, once again, do not agree with with Sam Down, which is not a new development, but I certainly don't agree with them that Sunderland were utterly spectacular. But in the same breath, I think he said that we were very good, and I, and I do agree with with that part of it. Um, you know, I think that Sam and others have bemoaned often uh, on this podcast and elsewhere that we have not looked capable yet in this league of um s h i t housing a win um when we're not necessarily playing right at the top of our attacking game when you know we're not sort of thrashing in three or four goals yesterday we proved that we can do it and we proved we can do it against the side who again i expect absolutely to be in the mix at, towards the right end of the table even if i i personally on yesterday's evidence again for the aforementioned reasons of bluntness up front don't necessarily expect them to break the top six again this season but they're certainly i think they'll certainly be in that conversation uh, until pretty deep in the season. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's monumentally pleasing for me for us to show that we were able to do a kind of bloody nose, backs to the wall, everyone throwing themselves in the way of things, performance. That ultimately gave us the platform with two unbelievable moments of quality. One, the the strike from Whisker, obviously as a, as a kind of solo thing. The second, the the interchange between Houghton, Cundal, and, and Azaz before Azaz finished very coolly, as is his uh, as is his style. Um so so yeah, I think I thought it was an immensely pleasing performance from our point of view, and 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 so, you know, I guess given that I agree with Sam's the, the part of Sam's equation which is that we were very good, and disagreeing with the part where he said some of them were utterly spectacular. I have to disagree with him not saying that we deserve to win. Um, you know, would would a draw have been a fair result from the game? I don't think we could have had too many complaints if it had ended all square, but you know, I don't think they deserve to win it, and I felt that we in the end were because of the you know the the body, bodies on the line defending we did. I felt we were a pretty good family in the end.
3: Yeah, Joe. If you if you haven't used up all the air in your lungs from last night, anything you want to add on this one that John hasn't covered?
2: I somewhat disagree with a couple of things John was saying. I I thought at times yesterday when we were good, we were we were excellent. Whether or not it was a complete performance from us, I I question because there were times where I just felt we were we were kicking a boomerang essentially. Um, we didn't really for large parts of the game, we didn't really have an outlet to to get us upfield. Um, but that said, that all that being said, I do agree with what he said that for all of Sunderland's good play, and there was some brilliant play from Sunderland, there was also a, a bluntness to them that they just didn't have anyone to put the ball in the back of the net. And that was the real difference, you know. Um, we had Two moments of real quality in the first half. The the Whitaker strike is is sublime, and um I don't quite know why teams are still allowing him to cut in on his left foot. Um I thought it was naive of Ipswich to allow it to happen, given what happened to them last season down at home park. Joe,
1: just to butt in, do you have you played on any of the recent versions of FIFA or whatever that's called these days, where you get the, the, the sometimes when you get in a shooting position, the game kind of does this weird slowing down thing. And it's like in slow motion, the player is going to absolutely smash it. And normally it ends up in the back of the net because I don't really understand what the feature is to be completely blunt. But like when Whittaker opened up that yard of space, it was just like, this is that in real life. Like he's just found that yard of space. They've been denying him up to that point. And he's going to wind his I, foot back and he's going to absolutely, um, the word Lewis Gibson said about it on the post-match interview, which I won't repeat uh, in, in yeah, my company.
2: I, I, to- I totally agree. I think... Um... There was an there was an air of inevitability about it that when he when he pulled his leg back to strike the ball, there was only one place that that was ending up, and that was in the back of the net. Does that bit of quality? Then I mean, the second goal is is magnificent. The touch from Houghton, the the pass from Cundle, the finish from Azaz, and that that was the difference. There's no point in dressing it up. The the two bits of real quality in that first half ultimately told the tale. And what did surprise me about the whole game, the way we bossed the midfield. I thought the middle of the park totally belonged to Argyle all afternoon, even for Sunderland's dominance. I thought they very rarely won a midfield battle for me. I thought the three in midfield were excellent all afternoon. I know I'm may well be answering some of Aaron's questions that he's going to be asking in a minute, as we always do on this pod. But all in all, I think it would probably rank as one of our biggest results. Take into the fact, as John says, Sunderland were there or thereabouts last season, didn't quite have enough to get over the line. It's going to be the same again this year. When you look at it and you see how far the football clubs come and where we are now, this is one of our our biggest results for a number of years Um, and to do it at home in front of a full house um, is, is a really, a really big thing and straight off the bat after the international break, we've got a a tricky, what is it? Nine games in 33 days or something, wasn't it? Before kickoff. So um, one down eight to go bring on Coventry.
3: Yeah. I don't know if there's anything huge that you want to add, Ben. I mean, we've already got quite a long pod already, but
4: I think it's worth giving Sunderland their flowers in the sense that, you know, the the teams we've played at Home Park, only Southampton and Blackburn, I feel, have sort of um, controlled the ball in a way that Sunderland did. And yet Sunderland produced more shots than they did um, and limited us to fewer shots than both that they did. And they also restricted us to the lowest pass accuracy we've had all season home or even away. Um, And I think that's where... They deserve their credit. It wasn't necessarily, you know, they couldn't finish. They'd still be shooting now and wouldn't have scored if the game had continued. Um, their finishing was was atrocious. But in terms of, you know, I've not seen us harried that way. They, you know, Joe's just described we, we did really well in the midfield. Um, and we can talk, I'll talk later about sort of like the, the transitions, the, the formational transitions that I think were incredibly clever and complex. Both the manager and the players sort of executed really well. But when it got to certain points, they they cut it off very well, and that you know that's why that pass accuracy is down. They sort of let us have it their times in dangerous areas, and then you know they were very well drilled in that. And if they could finish, you know the the that header that hit the post. There's lots of space that's going in. I agree with John that the the Joe Bellingham one. I think if it's the other side of the post, Cooper's got it well covered. But that one there was tons of space, and the same with Oshishi's, um volley just a little bit later go into that same top right hand corner. There was plenty of space if that had been the other side, both either of those goes in, I think you're talking about a different game. And you couldn't debate it at that point that they they would have deserved that goal. Um, and and the difference was as has been said, we didn't have any silly mistakes that that cost us. And you know, we can go into individual praise later, I'm sure. But um I think if you look at the, the stats, Sunderland really, you know, they were our best opposition in a number of areas. Um, and if they'd had a, a finisher, or even if the guys had the opportunities, you know, they had twenty four shots. Um, if they'd, they 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 produced sort of like one point seven xg, but their on target xg was zero point nine three. You know, that sort of tells you how badly they were were striking the ball at goal. Um, if 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 someone had been able to do a slightly better job,
3: you only need zero point zero two xg. I've heard.
4: Woof. I mean, that that shot itself was only zero point zero one.
3: Oh, sorry, zero point zero
4: one. Opt to reckon that they're taking a shot in that situation where Whitaker did one in a hundred goes in, and and he does that on a regular basis. He, he's he's a freak um, in a beautiful way. Uh, yeah, so I do think Sunderland do deserve respect. I, as you are probably well aware, I put out a rather tongue-in-cheek tweet that Sunderland were the best team we've seen down at home park, and the, they'll do very well this season, and all the best. So it was quite cathartic um but I did genuinely mean it you know I, th- I really do think they were impressive um and if they can get that striker in January or get one of they've got fire in then they really will be a force
3: yeah this a couple of oh, go on.
1: this isn't necessarily um directed at, at Ben as much as the kind of uh other other available pundits who like to um obsess over xG statistics Here we um, go. but uh I think that firstly you can say that Whitka one is incredibly low xg but as ben notes he does it all the time so it's it's not having a player who is able to outperform xg with that type of strike isn't an accident you know that's that's why we spent for us was a lot of money albeit you know i think we're increasingly realizing by the standards of the rest of the league an, an absolute pittance uh on him um because he is able to to overperform what you would expect a player to to do in terms of hitting the target in those sorts of areas but also i think uh, game state matters right when it comes to to xg and we were two a Relatively early, which obviously then changes the the picture of the rest of the game. And I didn't feel like it was a a backs to the wall. Sunderland were incredibly dominant. You know, we we smashed and grabbed two goals. Job to that point. Um, obviously, then we go to nil up. We're not the so- we're not the sort of team who who sit in um, and sit back on leads, as we've seen many many times this season. So I'm not going to say that, you know, we we purposefully invited Sunderland onto us. I don't think that's the case. And so I do think they deserve credit for, you know, forcing the issue and putting us under pressure. But equally as long as it was 2-0 and as long as those chances didn't go in for them. Um there wasn't really any onus or you know, impetus for us to obsess about scoring again. And ultimately, we picked our moments to go forward and almost did add a third goal on, on several occasions on the counter-attack. So I agree it would have been a different game, clearly, if one of those um, Sunderland ones where they hit the post in particular had gone in. But I don't necessarily think it's as easy as saying it would have changed the game you know, definitively in Sunderland's favour. I think that we might well have decided, okay, well, we need to go and score again to give ourselves a buffer. And, and we may have done that, you know, so because that's, that's the sort of team that we are. So yeah, I just wanted to sort of texture that kind of XG driven analysis with a bit of context, because I think sometimes those stats, while useful, can be um, over interpreted. I'm not saying that Ben did over them to be clear, but um, just don't want to give the impression that some of them were incredibly unlucky and we were really lucky, which I think a, a raw reading of that data could indicate.
3: Oh, Ben unmuted himself, so I thought he was going to come back.
1: Maybe there's a point
4: there later in the pod that it seems more apt to include.
1: That is music to Aaron's ears. No one has ever left a point for when it's the appropriate time for it to be raised.
3: Absolutely brilliant. Uh, A few full-time thoughts on um, social medias, mainly the platform formerly known as Twitter. Alan Yeoman says, excellent game, goals were brilliantly taken, Sunderland couldn't handle us, didn't make any clear-cut chances that had me worried. David Doyle says, two great goals, second half off the boil a bit, but held on for three points. First away win on Tuesday, hopefully a come on you greens. Paul Burke um, basically says what uh, Ben's touched on earlier. Sunderland were a good side, well played, well coached unlucky not to get anything, etc cetera, et cetera, How good does it feel to be on the right side of a result in a game like this for the first time this season? Massive result. And Barry Evans says, I'm going home for a lie down, huge result. Uh, on to Tuesday night Um, I think this is the part of the pod Where we go through basically every single player And praise them to high heaven Because I'm not sure how many times I can get away with with asking you Just how good is X Because that seems to be my go-to question But I just I can't really work out how we are as low as 19th and still running out of superlatives for this side. Ben, we've got we've got a couple of questions on Twitter and I'm going to ask you about this because of something that you said on, on X. Argyle Memes has asked, when Morgs transfers to Real Madrid in a couple of seasons, just how much do you think they'll pay? Jack said, did you know that we only paid a million pounds for Morgan Whittaker? I feel like this <laughs> is something that... Everyone should know because nobody's <laughs> talking about it. And then you come in and said that he's already in the conversation for an all-time XI hero. Discuss.
4: Yeah, it's bizarre. He, you know, but even if you add up all his performances, he's not played a full season for us. Um, but and if you add up what we were lamenting not long ago, the amount of woodwork strikes he had produced, he is a phenomenally good player. Just to to go tangential slightly. As well as the team getting all the plaudits for this result, I think the manager deserves a lot of plaudits because you know it's not that Morgan Whittaker's talent couldn't have been visible at Swansea or, or by other teams. You know he was wanted at Rangers. Um, etc but the managers provided a place where he can flourish feel wanted as as you know as he said quite publicly is, is important to him and the family um and perform. and and the manager and the team have done that they've taken a bunch of players and it's easy for us to say you know we've got Morgan Whittaker for a million we've got Gibson on a free these guys are absolute steals but you know that the manager has to get that out of them uh, give them the confidence and use them in a way that that fits their game well you know because there's lots of good players stumble and uh, a good teams at top teams um because they've not been nurtured or or coached uh, in a positive way so you know flowers for for Shiri and the team for, for getting what they do out of morgan whittaker but the ability of course is all his own um and i'm sure he works incredibly hard at, as we've been saying like the 0.01 xg goals are, are a regularity with him uh, and so he is just beautiful to watch there's something about sport that you know the, the game of basketball's been been ruined by statistics because it limits the game to three point shots and post work and uh, you get none of the sort of the easy on the eye the jump shots the mid range shots and football's a sport that still has a lot of the no matter how many stats are introduced into the game you can play it a variety of ways and there's still beauty in the game and and Whitaker's just be, you know, he's got such craft in what he does his his carrying of the ball um, you know, his shift of pace, his drop of the shoulder—he's so elegant in the way he plays. I sound a little bit, <laughs> a little bit fanboy, but I, I am. You know, he's just got um, an X factor which stands out. And you know, opposition fans will watch him once, never seen him before. They see the, you know, the goals and assist figures, and they watch him play, and they say, "God, would like him in our team." You know, he—he he stands out a, a country mile. He's—he's—he's he's, he's got such raw talent, married with, I think now developed a, you know, a real understanding of his role in the team the whole front 5 6 have. they sort of those relationships have developed in this first was it third of the season we, we saw the way we, you know with the the goal for azaz, azaz's goal you know from Houghton to Kundle to azaz you know just the way they the whole team plays and that really allows Whitaker to uh, sometimes even you know ghost in and out of games and then do something like that and just i think every team if you're going to survive in the championship needs at least one player like that who can produce something out of nothing, and he's one of the very best in the league. You know, no matter how he, uh, you know, what sort of stats metrics you look at attacking wise, he he is as valuable as virtually anybody in the league. People like Ruter, he's sort of above in in many metrics. Who costs thirty odd million? Can't speak highly enough of him, and he he genuinely is my second favorite player, or I think probably the second best player that I've seen live and in the flesh that's ever played for Argyle. He's just. You know he's magnificent to watch, and he, and he's entertaining. He's productive in in so many different ways. He carries so many different threat, um, and and he really makes the team tick in so many different ways.
3: Obviously, very high praise. Another one that's um in need of a bit of praise is obviously Luke Condon failed to make the top four selection of the club's official man of the match vote despite getting two assists. John, would you would you test Wolves with a bid come January?
1: Feels like a bit of an unfair question to follow your. Let's give Luke Hundle some praise uh, in intro to that point. So I'll start by giving him some praise, which is to say, I think he's a fantastic player. I think he goes under the radar a little bit with us because he isn't quite as flair as maybe some of the other players we have in attacking positions. I, in fact, when I listed our five players to watch for Sunderland fan media last week, did not include him, you know, which he was probably next on my list.
3: Maybe that was clever. They weren't
1: watching him. Exactly, yeah, exactly. When when Tony Mowbray read that as his entire scouting report, but with no no other input whatsoever, as I'm sure is the case at every championship club, yeah. um, they they neglected to mark him. But the, the guy's got insane quality. I mean, he really, really has. And I'm, I've been incredibly impressed by how versatile and adaptable he's proven as well. You know, he looks very good when he's been sort of thrust forward a bit. For us, Um, he looks equally good when he's been that kind of more industrious, steeper lying midfield role. Clearly an incredibly fit player. He's got a great engine. Two assists yesterday. I mean, yeah, OK, fine. The first one. He's the last player to touch the ball before Morgan Whisker does it all himself. I don't know if I would necessarily chalk that up as a, um, a you know, a great feat. But the, the ball for the second um, goal is incredibly well judged. The way he sort of jabs it with a kind of wedge in step uh, right into Azaz's path. It's just an unbelievable moment of quality. Um, on, the, on the negative side, very quickly, and I'd be interested to hear what Joe Bell has to say about, about this in RefWatch. I thought his tackle for which he got booked was not especially clever from my angle. Um, and yeah, I think the yellow card was just about right for it, but it looked like he went in with quite a lot of force and maybe a high boot of some description, although I have to say, I haven't seen it back. So maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but I, um, I wins 20 when he dived in, um, but then he did say he did show good discipline in in a role where he was, you know, obviously chasing people around and nipping at people's heels to then not get himself sent off um, or even get anywhere near getting a second yellow card. So that's another um, plus side as well, I guess in terms of testing Wolves with a bid, I think everything would depend on their valuation of him. And honestly, I just have no idea what that is. Um, Certainly there are, amounts of money that i would be prepared to spend on a player of his caliber um but i think you know if the benchmark is that we've spent a million on Whitaker and much to a lesser extent in terms of how good value that's looked so far this season mumba i don't think i would be coming you know going all the way to that figure for a player like kundal personally um i think something in the 750 800k range would would be maybe where i would peg bid if i was just kind of speculating again relative to what we paid for those other players now of course as we've all said whitaker in particular looks like an absolute snip at that price um but you know i guess that's the kind of value we're looking to get out of our signings right we have to make our budget go further than other clubs because we have less of it so if wolves are coming back and saying yeah you can have him but it's going to be two three million pounds which is the going rate, seemingly, for even quite mediocre players at this level. I'm, I'm not saying Condor's mediocre at all. I'm just saying that you know there are players who are going for that much money in this league, where I really just can't see where that valuation has come from. um You know, beyond the kind of inflation of the market, I think we'd have to. Do, I think we'd have to say no thanks. But but is it worth putting a bid in and seeing if we can make him our player permanently? I, I would absolutely love. You know, if that was possible and there was a good value deal to be done, I would absolutely love to see it. Um, I guess my answer is just a little bit more textured than saying, yes, definitely, let's pay whatever it takes to bring him down here. Uh, there's, there's, there's probably another player on loan, and I won't preempt a, a potential future question from Aaron here, who I might be more inclined to um, throw money at. Not
3: from me, but from Thomas Kent, and I'm sure we'll get onto that Great. in a minute or two.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um... I don't, want to, I don't want to sound like I'm on a downer about Kundal at all. I'm, I'm, a, I'm really, really not. It's just, as, as Sam has made the point on this podcast, often valuation in football is a funny thing, and often it's about the status of the selling club as much as the player. And obviously Wolves are a Premier League club with quite big resources. They can probably afford to hold out for someone who's willing to pay more for Kundal than we might be able to. But I've been seriously impressed with him. I think he's a fantastic option for us to have. I think he showed great flexibility and versatility. And yeah, the assist for the second goal yesterday, if not the first, was a thing of real quality.
4: Just quickly on Cundal, he's still only twenty-one, which I think often gets forgotten that he's he's still one of the youngest in the squad and still has quite a lot of room for development. And it's it's quite marked his improvement over last season, according to observers of both Swansea and ourselves. So you know, a million pounds with the potential for further improvement. Kusnip and and Schumacher, for example, think there's more to unlock. If they see more in training, they think we can definitely get his valuation up higher. If he were to be an asset, we look at selling or his value to the team could be higher than it is worth more than that investment. I'm sure that they would consider that, but, um, as John says, it's it's more about whether Wolves would be interested in parting with with him for that, or whether they think, given his improvement, that they will have also noticed whether they can, if we won't pay what they want, either get more from someone else or send him out on loan again and look to get a return of even you know even higher return in the future.
1: Yeah, I think I think maybe to answer the question more literally, I think it was would you be? I think you you said Aaron, would you be testing Wolves with a bid in January? And I think I certainly wouldn't be doing that unless it was
3: whenever. Just well, no, testing. but I
1: think, but I think it's important, right? Like, you know, again, if we could throw in six hundred k in January and they said yes, you know, have him, then then great. But I think it's more likely one of those ones where next summer, when they sit down and assess the shape of the squad, where they think we fell short this year, who's available, what we can do potentially you know if Real Madrid have paid, short of what? If, if if,
3: fallen short of
1: what if, if Real Madrid have paid 20 million pounds for Morgan Whitaker and we're looking to reinvest that money which gives us a bit more wiggle room in the transfer market you know I think I think that he's definitely someone who should be absolutely be in that conversation in terms of potential full-time signings yes absolutely but I think I think I think next summer rather than next month
3: Joe, I'll give you this one because you've been a bit quiet and and you like to talk. So, um, it's it's still on Cundall, but I, and I butcher this uh, this name every time, so please do tell me in the comments if I if I'm pronouncing it right. C Dubia, that's definitely wrong. Asks, is Cundall becoming a nailed-on starter, and where does that leave Adam Randall? Surely Lewis Warrington's opportunities are now all but gone as well. So, there's a three three part of there: is Cundall nailed on? What happens to Randall? And is Warrington gone?
2: I don't think anyone's nailed on in Schumacher selection roulette. I would suggest that Luke Cundell is more likely to start most games for the foreseeable future. Just putting my tuppence in on the debate that the two lads have just had there. Um, I think Luke Cundell is a quality, quality footballer. Um I think he's he's a little bit of a Duracell bunny. He seems to have boundless reserves of energy. His fitness levels are clearly very high um, because he just pops up everywhere. He, he's always finding pockets of space and helping the team out where he can. So I think he's a very valuable asset in terms of the debate about whether or not I try and sign him in January. Of course, if we were to chance our arm, with Wolverhampton Wanderers and they were to agree to it and the deal was right for the football club, then of course that would give us a loan option, loan facility available to bring somebody else in, which I think is probably going to be in the, the football club's thought process moving into the month of January. Um, What does it mean for Adam Randall? I suppose it just means he's got to keep his head down, train well. Um, when you get on the pitch, influence the game, do your bit. As for Lewis Warrington, I, I have sympathy with the kid, to be honest with you. I thought his his two appearances against Leighton Orient and Crystal Palace were very good. I was certainly purring about his performance against Leighton Orient. Um, I thought he was excellent that night. Unfortunately for him, Houghton's having an unbelievable season Cundall's playing very well. Randall, we know is very reliable. Azaz is heard about Azaz enough in recent weeks, so um, opportunities look limited. Um, Touchwood, obviously, there's no injury issues and what have you between now and and January. But I would, I think, it would just make so much sense that the loan is ended for not just our sake, so we can get another loan player in. But I also think for the kid's sake as well, because although it's a good experience being around a championship dressing room and things, he is of an age where senior men's football is important to him at this point for his career development. And I do think for him it might be more beneficial to, you know, maybe another championship club would take a chance with him. Um, But certainly I think he's got more than enough quality to, to be in and around a, a top six league one side. Um, on loan for the second half of the season so whilst I think the kid is very talented I do think that perhaps his future lies away from away from us which is a shame Um, because it's you know you, you want these these links with Premier League clubs to remain established but unfortunately it's, it's just not worked out for him with the way our midfield is at the moment
3: go on make the same joke John go on.
1: I was going to say with at least some if not all due respect to Fleetwood Town I think Warrington needed a loan at a good league one club before making this step up to the championship in his career trajectory i think this move has come too soon based on again what very little we've seen of him maybe that's unfair because he he may have with a with a forced run of games if we'd had an injury crisis may have grown into it and really proven himself but i think um i think i agree with joe that it just hasn't hasn't quite happened and it would be really useful to have that loan slot freed up for someone who's going to be more in contention for first team minutes
3: He's also going to need some championship experience under his belt as he gets back into that Everton side next season and, and takes them back up to the Premier League, which is what I was going to say, John, which he didn't say, which is good, thank you. Um, I can keep that.
1: Brandishing a red card at Aaron here. A large, not red card Aaron Nego sent off.
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
3: John, you were full of praise for a Mr. Jordan Houghton in the group chat last night claiming seriously what the actual fuck has happened to Houghton. He's gone from bang fucking ah. a gun player to dynamite in the championship. Again, I don't usually break GDPR, but I'm doing it.
1: Well I will retroactively give you my consent. Um yeah, I feel like I've sort of made this point somewhat more diplomatically on this podcast, uh almost every week that I've been on since the start of the season. Um so given that this now has a happy ending, or at least at this point, I may as well just go sort of more full on with it and say that I really wasn't a huge fan of Jordan Halton, um up until this season. And I did kind of groan a little bit when I understood that we were um, really keen on tying him down to a new contract at this level. Um, you know, not to disrespect what the bloke has done for us uh, over the last couple of seasons. Um, and clearly uh, he has... Um, you know, has had some very good performances for us in the past. But I think he's also had some wobbly games. I think he's also gone missing sometimes. And I had severe doubts that he would be able to step up to this level. But as I think I've also said on this pod, I do recall saying over the summer, based on that one performance at Chelsea in the FA Cup, when he was sublime, uh, playing against a much higher caliber of player, I did say, I just wonder, is there a chance... It, he gets into this league is surrounded by more technical ball playing players and he is able to raise his game in that kind of environment as opposed to in League One where you watch the ball sail over your head a lot. You get kicked a lot. It's just a, you know, with, with due respect to League One, which I think is a great competition. Obviously, it's not the same level of technical quality that you find in the championship. Um, and, and again, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I, I sort of predicted that that would be the case. But it was just sort of a, a lingering question in my head that it could be. And it has been, and it has been the case, absolutely. I mean, as you read out from my very insightful, uh, not at all several pints in comments in the group chat yesterday, he has been unbelievable this season. He really has. And I put, I did include him in my five players to watch uh, list for the Sunderland fan media that I compiled last week, just because I feel he's a player who goes under the radar of kind of away fans and Championship pundits because he's not banging in twenty-five yard screamers because he's not taking everyone on and skilling past them. Um, you know, he's just a steady Eddie who who doesn't really get among the kind of goals or assists too often. Um, but I thought yesterday both sides of his game were fantastic, and it was just a a real encapsulation of how dynamite he has become at this level. Um, the touchdown for Kondal to then assist as, as for the second goal is a sublime piece of. Um, attacking play, and what I thought was great about it as well is that Houghton was ahead of Cundall when that ball was lofted forward. I mean, that's a pretty much a sort of hit and hope ball forward from Gibson, right? I don't think it's a particularly kind of measured, like precise pass out. It's a clearance, but so Houghton is naturally in that in that phase of play ahead of Cundall, uh, whereas you really do think of Houghton as being the one who's the kind of pivot, deep lying player in that in that midfield th- three when we play as a three in midfield, uh, which of course he is. Um, but it showed, I thought, a great kind of positional fluency him in that instance to be knocking the ball down for kundal and kundal to then ping it through um but yeah a sublime touch and an absolutely integral to that goal being scored it's a real shame that, that won't go down as his assist even though kundal's assist uh, as we as we mentioned was also delicious they kind of deserve to share credit for it, i think but, but but you know then beyond that i thought that houghton was one of three really integral players in the second half along with um pro and gibson who i'm sure will come on to who put their body on the line defended really well made blocks i mean there was a moment where houghton got kind of clattered into the post i think um by one of their players when he was back kind of really putting himself in the thick of it to try and clear the ball away um or or, you know put their players off Uh, i thought he was fantastic yesterday i believe i gave him a nine out of ten in my match ratings which was not enough for man of the match because there was a 10 which i may be allowed to get onto in a future question yeah he was he was outstanding and i cannot think of a particularly bad performance i mean sorry i, I can't think of a particularly average performance he's had this season I, I can't think of a single really bad performance he's had he is he has raised his game no end and i find it phenomenally phenomenally impressive and i'm not going to apologize to the lad because i don't necessarily think i was wrong to think what i thought in the summer based on the available evidence to that time but certainly i was wrong to think that he might not have this in him because boy has he been a key player for us this season
3: I think the term is don't back down double down good we'll, we'll stay on the midfielders Ben um, if I can find it I stupidly went off the question the the aforementioned question from Thomas Kent surely Azaz is our number one target next summer but what are we willing to pay for him he's valued at 900k to 1.2 million he imagines
4: well if <laughs> if we can get him for 900 <laughs> 000 to 1.2 million then yeah I think I think they might might get that one done. Whit Whitaker came in, having had a brilliant half a season with us in League One, and we got him for a million. If Azaz keeps performing at the levels he is, he's going to have what double figures in both goals and assists in the championship. Probably be getting in in the Ireland team or at least the Ireland squad, I imagine, by the end of the season if he carries on in that vein. So the idea of getting him for a million quid. Is, is lovely, but I don't think realistic. Maybe we can convince him to sort of dip in form at the end of the season if we're not, if we're comfortable above survival, and then we can uh, knock a few hundred thousand off. But yeah, I, I do think he's going to be a, a, another one who I think came back. I wasn't sure if he would, like Mumba, whether he um, talked the talk, but whether he actually really did enjoy his time here. It's really nice to know that all of those lone players who spent their time here and, and performed well, did also enjoy their time, you know, Whittaker Mumba came back then. Obviously, Azaz was keen to come back and that's really good. So that gives us, a, you'd like to think, an, an advantage in signing him. He's got to be, as, as as was suggested at the moment, our number one target. The, 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 the reason that would change is if we, we suddenly become really deficient in another area of the pitch. You know, if we suddenly get a, a slew of injuries somewhere... Um, and that we just need to replace a certain, you know, to, to cover a certain position. But the the squad looks reasonably well stocked. Just you know, we could obviously do more more people of of more players of, of, of championship quality. But then we're doing all right with with everyone we've got. We you know we're one of the nicest teams on the eye that I've seen in the championship. So I don't think that you know we're all of a sudden going to find a gaping hole in the squad that is going to become an even more pressing need than trying to tie Finazas down. I think that should be priority number one in the summer. But yeah I, I, it will it will crucially depend on what Aston Villa think he's worth, what we're willing to pay, and what sort of arrangements can be can be made in that regard. but yeah, yeah, he he's been spectacular complete I, I honestly didn't expect to sit, see it coming. I wasn't as, as down on him as John was on Jordan Houghton for sure, but uh, I did think I didn't see this coming as good as he was last season. It was a you know, maybe it's just a superficial sort of observation, but you know being a young player. Um, He didn't sort of, to to my eye last season, have quite the same X factor as Morgan Whitaker did during his spell. But he's just, he seems to have, have gone to another, well, not just another gear, another couple of gears. He seems to be sort of in sixth gear now uh, and, and really purring. And, you know, if he's got more gears than that, I'm not quite sure if that's the metaphor that extends that far. But uh, yeah, that, you know, that would be, you know, even if it's just for this season, he's, he's going to be crucial.
1: I was up on Fina'zaz. Uh, even if I was down on Houghton. They did see this coming, so I will take a brief vit- victory lap. <laughs> um, which, which will only be to say that I, I think Azaz is... The fact that Ben had the observation he did about Azaz last season, I think it's almost entirely down to the injury that he had at a really bad time. But I was as I was saying to Dan Ellard uh, last night, at the time Azaz got that injury in his previous couple of games, he'd run the game against MK Dons, and he'd scored an unbelievable goal at Bristol Rovers. And for me, I believe I even said it on this pod aside from Barry Bannon looking like the best outfield player in league one. And I have no reason to think that he wouldn't have continued to go from strength to strength. If that, that cruel injury hadn't happened. And obviously when he came back at the end of the season, he's still kind of feeling his way back in a little bit, but I I am not at all surprised by how good he's been for us this season. I mean, the guy oozes class and I would go as far as to say that he is The only one of our players right now, this second who I am very confident they will have a good, long Premier League career.
4: His feet have got to be the best feet in the championship at the moment. I've not seen close control like that under pressure, back to goal, face to goal, going around people, sending lollipops. Like you say, that's the sort of difference that makes that gives someone a a Premier League career or a career at the top level, as opposed to, you know, it's just just different level.
1: Like, I think I think Whittaker could go on to have that type of career. Absolutely. He's got the raw talent. No question about that. I also think with Whitaker, though, that there are quite a lot of players who play in that sort of position. I think there's there's or, or who are sort of have similar kind of attributes. So I think there's probably more likely competition for places for someone like that in the Premier League. And I also think he's someone if you can if you can work out regularly how to kind of shut him down at a higher level. have you know, to this point in his career, I would have question marks as to, as to whether or not he would necessarily sort of be able to work his way around that. He might, again, he might well be able to. Azaz, I think I've seen enough, even to this point, to say that he just has this kind of X-factor unexpected quality where whatever sort of situation he's in, he manages to kind of come out with the ball still at his feet. And I, and I think he just kind of gives something to us that while maybe not as kind of explosive as Whitaker, is as good in a kind of more subtle the way he sort of beguiles. I mean, the guy, the guy plays with an unbelievable maturity. I've never seen a player his age play with so much maturity. Um, he plays like a sort of thirty-eight-year-old veteran, but in the body of a, a you know a twenty-one-year-old or whatever he is. Right. I mean, it's 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 magic, frankly. Uh, and I think he will be a player. A lot of people will talk about and remember for a long time to come.
3: Um, talking about players that people were going to remember for a long time, Joe. I won't. I won't bring up your earlier comments about lewis gibson because i feel like john wants to talk about him but i asked where people's man of the matches on on twitter and a lot of names came back two of them were with a defensive centre-back pairing in, in plegozelo and gibson I, i'm aware that we've spent nearly the whole pod time just praising everyone but i feel like we should give Pleggy and gibson their their praise when they when they deserve it uh, like i said i feel like john wants to cover gibson so do you want to cover Pleggy?
2: Uh, yeah, OK, I've I've said my piece on Gibson, and at the moment I'm yet to see how I'm going to be left with egg on my face, but he's a long time to go in his Argyle career, I understand that. Pleggy, right, so... Joe, can I reframe the
1: question a little bit? Um, Following Sam Down's remarks about Plague as well and not being good enough for this level, how would you say that those remarks have aged? Um,
2: I think you're trying to get me to incriminate our good friend and colleague, Mr Down, John... Look, I, I sounded off a warning about Plague um, with I think it was after the Leighton Orient Cup game where I said that people, I thought there was a bit of an overreaction to his performance that night, that people just need to be a little bit more calm in their in their judgment on on somebody after one performance. Of course, after three games, I've come out with a statement that Lewis Gibson's the best centre-back I've ever seen play for Argyle, so um, perhaps I'm not best placed to come out with a comment like that, but... I thought he I thought he got better as the game went on yesterday. I thought early doors, um, he gave the ball away one time, which was glaringly awful, um, where he, he essentially just passed it out of play. And he likes to get forward, Pleggy, with the ball at his feet. Um, what One thing that was noticeable yesterday is he was, wherever Job Bellingham was, from our box to the halfway line, Pleggy was. He was practically wearing the same pair of shorts and shirt as Bellingham. It was very evident. He not wanted an autograph. Maybe, maybe he did. Um, maybe he wanted one of Jude's Real Madrid shirts, but you know, We'll get one was, of those was, off
3: Morgan next January. May, next summer.
2: Maybe he will. Maybe he will. Um, but it was obvious what his task was. His job was to to mark Bellingham out of the game. Um, and actually, to be fair, I think across the pitch yesterday, that the man to man battles that were in place i think we did pretty well with them i actually thought um although we haven't touched on it yet um yeah. i thought joe edwards did a pretty fair job with jack clark um i don't i know clark second half as the game went on edwards or clark was coming in a little bit more from that that side of the pitch but i think edwards did a pretty good job um of dealing with Jack Clark but Plague was like look he gets better as the game goes on I think um I predicted that he would start yesterday I thought it was perhaps time for a change at the back there um there's been a couple of games there with scar had just made there was the the moment at Ipswich that was giving the penalty away against Middlesbrough you know perhaps it was just time to to tweak things up a little bit um and look you can't knock either their performance yesterday I had good friend and EFL genius that is Gab Sutton messaged me this morning, asking me what I thought of Gibson's performance yesterday. And, you know, I said, it was just typically, um, typically Lewis Gibson. He, you know, he, I think he won every aerial battle um, and Pleggy wins his fair share of aerial battles as well. And, but the key thing for him is just how good he is with the ball at his feet. Um, So it was a good performance. Um, I'm not going to make any rash comments about Pleggy like I did Gibson um, I do somewhat, but I do somewhat feel I'm becoming a bit more vindicated with my praise of Gibson. Um, and I hope now, as at the moment, I think the bandwagon is empty, bar me behind the wheel. And I'm hoping that John Alsop is about to present a golden ticket to join <laughs> me on the Lewis Gibson bandwagon.
1: Uh, so I don't know if I'm yet where you are.
2: Come on, John. There's plenty of room and we're going to paradise. <laughs> Come on.
1: I was gonna say i don't know if i think gibson is the best champion the best defender i've ever seen playing for plymouth argyle um but i will say yesterday was the best performance by a center back uh in the championship that i have ever seen for plymouth argyle or uh, granted you know i was uh in my
2: that's good enough for me welcome to the club
1: thank you Re- relatively i've got a silver ticket there we go maybe not a golden one um uh, uh, yeah what? Granted that I was sort of 13 or 14 when I was going to games when we were last in the championship, in fact, maybe even younger. Um, I'm not saying I have a perfect memory of all of our other championship games from from times past, but I thought Gibson was outstanding yesterday. As I intimated earlier, I gave him a 10 out of 10 in my match ratings, which is a fairly rare occurrence for me. I certainly don't like to liberally throw that number around, although I do sometimes award it at all, which is which you know some people don't. I think I may have given a couple out against Norwich earlier in the season for the attacking players. But yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty rare personal accolade. I thought he was well, well um, worthy of that yesterday. I think for a ten, for me, you have to do your job on the field absolutely flawlessly for starters, and then you have to kind of go above and beyond that um, with with at least a couple of moments of standout, you know, real game changing quality. And not only was he flawless, but he just seemed to get in the way of everything. There were a couple of blocks that were unbelievable, a couple of headers away under pressure that were unbelievable. He was like a one-man wall. You know, they really could not get past him. I, I also thought, I, I've been less kind of down on, on plug as well than, than Sam and others have been in general, but I also thought he was excellent yesterday. But Gibson was just a tower of strength there at the back. It was a phenomenal centre-half performance. Yeah, a clear man of the match for me. And the only other thing I'll say about him, I was reflecting on this last night, to my mind, and I may have said this on the pod before, I've certainly said it uh, in, in group chats, there have been two genuinely disappointing results that we've had this season. And I'm excluding the Bristol City game here, not because that result wasn't disappointing. It was, but it was more the performance there that was disappointing. I think if we'd have just lost there and it had been a close run thing, we wouldn't have been coming away thinking necessarily, oh, that's the worst result of the season because, you know, they're a team that that, that produce some good results sometimes and are above us in the league. But but for me, the really disappointing games this season where, you know, you're looking at that and thinking we need to be winning or or at least drawing those games were the Millwall and Swansea home games where we lost in early October. Um, And I think those games have disproportionately shaped the narrative of our season so far. Because if we'd won those two games or even got four points, we'd be much higher up towards mid-table now than we currently are. Um, And people would be talking about us as a team that are kind of in and around the the playoff pack as opposed to a team that are are still you know, skirting with the relegation picture. So those are two games that at least narratively have made a lot of difference to our season. I don't know if I think I'm right in saying they're the only games Gibson has missed um, or for which Gibson was unavailable. I don't think that's a coincidence.
3: Ben Joe's touched on it, and we've we've praised everybody else, so we just as well praise him as well. He mentions um, Mr. Joe Edwards going up against Jack Clark. Uh, uh, pretty much, I had a question about: is he is he the best player that we've seen we've been up against in the league so far? Before I get shouts of Eze in the comments, you know how how well did Edwards do against uh, Mr. Clark?
4: Yeah, I think he did it did very well. Of course, you're not going to keep Jack Clark. Quiet or gamey, but he, he did produce from from the start to the end. He was produced, you know, getting the ball in, linking up well down that side. But then everybody was 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 linking up well for Sunderland at times. They you know they really make the pitch as big as they possibly can. And I don't think anybody's kept Jack Clark quiet this this season. I mean, I watched the Sunderland versus versus Wednesday game and that was just like a training routine for him he was like he was going around cones it was ridiculous and he certainly didn't have that joy down that side on Saturday and and against Birmingham again it, I think he got at least one assist for the second goal I only saw the first 60 minutes of that game but he ran right the first 20 minutes um, was completely uncontainable and then the second half it he picked up again uh, where where it it started uh, in that in the sort of first twenty minutes of the game and the fact that you know Joe Edwards was was normally within touching distance and was putting pressure on the ball is to his credit because Jack Clark's made much more experienced and much more sort of well known names look stupid this season. Uh, I think he did did really well. I think that was his job. Sort of it was a really interesting kind of. I'm not gonna go off topic yet I'd like um okay, talking about the the tactics and the and the formations but there was it was like a a hybrid fo- system where w- there were people doing man marking jobs um and there were people sort of playing to to to, to zones uh but I think just like Plegworth whaleer was asked to task or was tasked rather with looking after Bellingham, I think Joe was in many ways like look, you just shut that corner off um and we'll try and double up on him with you when we can. And I think he did a, a really good job of that. Uh, you know, the fact that he was, that Clark was still productive. I think he'd sort of like eight chances or something. If you look at the, look at the numbers, but um, a lot of those one as, as John is, as very, aptly, or not aptly, very accurately stated, they weren't clear-cut chances. He's sort of stabbing the ball across goal and, and someone's sort of having to meet it and stretch him for it or he's clipping the cross in under pressure and someone's having to stretch to crane the neck to, to get their head on it. So he was never sort of free to to really pick out a man at his leisure. Um, and and that's, I think, the best you could expect anyone to do against Jack Clark in uh, this season, the form he's been in. Uh, like, you know, He's one of the top what, probably three or four players this season on form. Um. So you know, if you say if you'd have said last season Joe Edwards gonna play fullback against the winger who's produced however many goals and assists it is, you know, top five player in the in the league, and he's gonna keep a clean sheet and and sort of keep him within touching distance all season, uh, all game rather, or keep keep him under pressure, you'd you'd snap someone's hand off for that and been, you know, you'd probably raised your eyebrows So you know, he deserves immense credit. He's such a good captain. You know, there were times when. Was it? It's probably when the munched when he got his yellow card. You know, the the, the communication among the team was fantastic. There was because M- Mumba and Kundal were both at times dropping in next to Houghton. We sort of lined up in that four-one-four-one, but then occasionally was becoming a four-two-three-one, and Mumba and Kundal were sort of cu- coming drop dropping in before it then went to like three at the back at times. Well, for quite a large portion of the second half, but they were talking, and then and and and, and Joe Edwards was was talking to someone else. You could see everyone was was. Saying this isn't maybe what we would plan. This isn't what um you know isn't quite the same as we had discussed in in pregame. So do this, do that, and we're adjusting their roles. And and Edwards was key to that. Later in the game, he was shouting at, at Cooper for for not passing to him when he was open, and then for for making the wrong pass and and giving the ball away. He was you know really taking maintaining the captaincy as well as sticking to that really thankless task of 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 having a, to. To keep Jack Clark, keep an eye on Jack Clark. So, um, you know, he, he he it was a fantastic captain's performance as well as his performance as a as a defender. And uh, yeah, he should get his definitely should get his flowers.
1: Just to um quickly issue one correction on my previous remarks: Gibson also missed the game at Hull, where we did draw one all. Although in that game, his replacement in the team, Macaulay Gillespie, made a mistake that led directly to Hull's equalizer. So I think my uh, broader point about Gibson will will stand.
3: And on Edwards uh, putting in the perfect captain's performance, that's pretty impressive seeing as he lost the captaincy in midweek to a to a tweet put out by the football club about Adam Randall. So um, he's <laughs> so, so, so incredibly well there. To be honest, I've still got about 10 more questions. The social questions this week, by the way, people were very good, very broad, varied, and then I had to do basically no prep, um, which is perfect. Please keep that up for the rest of the season and beyond. We're we're still in nineteenth, but we've managed to open up a seven-point gap on the bottom three, despite Rotherham's point against Leeds on Friday night. At what point do we just condemn those three to relegation and stop looking over our shoulder, or is that too dangerous? I don't know who wants that one.
1: Yeah, I certainly don't think that we should be doing that because this you know football in general is unpredictable, and this league is incredibly unpredictable, and and you know really anyone can beat. Anyone, at least in theory, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday haven't really uh, shown that they can beat anyone <laughs> just yet. Uh, bar Rotherham at home, who are the worst team away and certainly in the league, maybe in the country. But, but you know, Sheffield Wednesday, by all accounts, have somewhat improved under their new manager, Danny Rold, since the departure of Hisco Munoz. Performances, by all accounts, have been a lot better, um, including apparently for for stretches of the game against us. Uh, and and obviously yesterday they went to Birmingham and by all accounts put up a really good fight and only lost two one to a pretty late goal. So you know I don't want to sort of sit here and condemn Sheffield Wednesday at least publicly.
3: Sorry to butt in, but the the fact that Birmingham are now like next to us in the league is absolutely mad. The Wayne oh, yeah. effect is class yeah,
4: so
1: I was about to come on to them actually. but but the reason I'm talking about Wednesday is because I think they are the most nailed on team to go down for obvious reasons. And even with them, I wouldn't want to say a hundred percent hand on heart there. they're dead and buried. I think the flip side to all of this business about their performances being better is that, including in the game against us, they don't seem to have a lot of quality in both boxes and they don't look like they know how to win football matches and, I think they're arguably just getting so far adrift even at this stage that even a, a pretty good run would not be enough to, to keep them up come the end of the season. So, so I think they probably will go down. But, but you know, I, I really don't think it's it's time to sort of write them off. And then by extension, it's obviously not time to write off either Rotherham or QPR. Um, QPR have apparently been playing a bit better under their new manager too, Marty Sifuentes. I think that the narrative that they've had a bounce is a little bit belied by the fact that I believe they've got two points from three games and one goal against Rotherham, Bristol City and Norwich, Uh, so not the three strongest teams in the league. However, having said that, you know, I think it does take sometimes a a new manager a bit of time to imprint their style of play on a team, and I think Ainsworth was such a comically bad fit for their squad that that they do have the quality in there that a different manager... Could potentially pull it out of them, and Rotherham, of course, are in the middle of changing their manager, and and you know Neil Warnock could walk through the door next week, and you know we all know what he he can do. I think he probably won't, um, and I think whoever is the new Rotherham manager will have a tough time keeping them up because to a slightly lesser extent than Sheffield Wednesday, they but but you know not much lesser of an extent. They don't look like they know how to win games. A, a lot can still change, and I would not want to write off any of those three teams. I think if I had to sit here now and predict, though, I do think at least two of them are likely to go. And I think if QPR, who I think are probably at the moment the likeliest to get out of that mess, do so, you know, more likely be at the expense of Huddersfield or maybe even Birmingham, who I said I would come on to, who have been simply atrocious since the stupidest managerial change that I can remember uh, since probably the last time Birmingham stupidly sacked a manager to bring in Gianfranco Zola. I think it was Rowett who got sacked many years ago, for those who remember that. Um, but yes, bringing in a celebrity manager and trying to rip up the entire way they play, despite the fact that they were very well positioned in the early table. Totally baffling. Um, but I, I, you know, and I, I'm sure this will be clipped and used uh, if they beat us at home park just before Christmas or if they suddenly turn a corner. I think Rooney it does not know what he's doing. I don't think he's a good manager. I don't think he will have a good managerial career. And I think this will end in tears for them. Whether those tears are him getting an early, you know, an early boot or potential relegation or flirting with it remains to be seen. The point being that while I don't think the bottom three are consigned to relegation, I also don't think that we're the next likeliest team to drop in. We'll come on to to Coventry on our preview pod for That game, I'm sure, I I don't really class them in this bracket of teams because even though we're above them, I think they're in a false league position. But, um, But I also think we're in a bit of a false league position, right? As I think we've said on this pod before. And I think the fact that we have so many, as Ben alluded to earlier, so many other teams' fans say, I can't really believe you're 19th, you look a lot better than that. It's not an accident that they're saying that. And so, one, I don't think we should take anything for granted. And while we're not safe yet... I also don't think it's at all beyond the realms of possibility that we could put together a little run of results and climb up into the safer reaches of mid-table. And as we know, in this league, with it being so tight, the safer reaches of mid-table tends to mean you you have a shot at the playoffs until quite late in the season, possibly. No, I really don't think we're going to get in the playoffs. I think we will finish in the bottom half. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if with a couple of months to go, we are more in the conversation of very outside could could go on a good run and go into the playoffs than really in in the mud um now again that's not complacency it's just to say that i don't don't think that where we are now is necessarily destiny for the rest of the season and to me yesterday was a hugely hopeful portent for us being able to actually get wins against teams who are better than us we'll see how it goes but yeah long story short i don't i certainly would not write off the bottom three i certainly would not say that we're out of trouble but i also don't think that we necessarily need to be conceiving of this season only as you know, this is going to be a long, hard slog. I think it's quite possible that we've got an extra gear in us now that we've kind of got to grips with the level of it and that we could pleasantly surprise a few in the second half of the season.
3: So in short, yeah, but no. Um,
1: <laughs> all, right, all right, Vicky
3: Pollard. <laughs> uh, Joe, I don't think we need too long on uh, Refwatch, but friend of the pod and friend of Joe Bell, Gavin Jones says that Refwatch, based on yesterday, should we request all female officials moving forward? Thought she was the most accurate lino we've had all year. The guy on the Mayflower was very, very good
2: too. Yeah, but we're not gonna have a long ref watch because I don't have a huge amount to say, other than the fact I thought James Bell had an excellent game yesterday. I've just looked back at while well, um John was rambling on about something or other earlier in the pod. I took it the opportunity <laughs> to find the Kundal tackle on the 26th minute that yielded him a yellow card. It's late, it's it's a little bit naughty. I would say yellow card is probably just about right, though. I'd imagine VAR would have a long look at it if we were in a a higher division um, or playing on the continent. Um, But thankfully, we're not. But yeah, I thought thought the referee had a a pretty good game yesterday. I thought he didn't want to get involved too much. What he gave in the first half in favour of Sunderland, he more than made up for, I felt, in the second half. I thought some of the free kicks we were getting were incredibly soft. He dealt with a pretty farcical incident with Kesla Hayden and O'Neill fairly well towards the end of the game. I've no idea what that was all about. That was
1: they nearly they nearly killed each other. Sorry, that was what Sam said after right, Sam. okay.
2: it was it was incredibly silly on both parts um and and yellow cards and take long hard looks at yourselves were probably what the referee said to them. Um, but yeah, very good game. You could tell that Sean Massielis and Akil um are SG1 slash Premier League.
3: Counties, um,
2: please. Linos you're not getting counties. Um you can tell that they're SG1 Linos. Um so yeah, all in all, good game. Um nice to be praising a referee for once.
3: In the quiz at the end of the season, we might need a predict, can you guess who like type SG one, SG2 referee? Joe Bell round. I don't know. I'll work on the wording. Uh, <laughs> Hang on. We're just going
1: to we're just going to gloss over the fact that Joe Bell has just lavished praise on James Bell.
3: Mm.
1: Interesting. Suspicious.
4: Suspicious. Just, just, I do want to agree with the with Gavin though. The 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 two well, the assistant referees. I would call them linos were conspicuously better than we've had all season. And I I didn't, you know, it's almost like I didn't want it to be so because it feels like you're virtue signaling to say, oh, wasn't the BAME linesman and the female linesman so much better than the other guys you've had? But they really were. It was conspicuous. They, you know, we've had so many linesmen, the ball will go out in front of them and they'll be like, oh, I don't know who's throwing is that. And just, you know, not, not flagging for free kicks, which are obvious and basically doing nothing, running up and down the line and looking lost. But they were both really good. Um, and dealt uh, with a lot of of like very close like offsides, um, niggly fouls, um, deflections. I think they got all of them right, and that was really noticeable. It was really nice that that game wasn't spoiled like so many have been by a really stupid or bad decision. I
1: thought Bell was guessing quite a lot of the time, but that's enough of Joe. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd be as fulsome in my praise of Joe's near namesake as he was. It was it was a tough game to referee because there were a lot of kind of knit sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other type incidents or kind of borderline cases. But there were a couple of times Dan who was sat next to me and I turned to each other and said, it sort of looks like he's guessing as to whether that was actually a foul or not. Um, there was one on Azaz out, just outside the box in the first half. It was blatant foul that he didn't give. Uh, so I don't know. I was not quite as impressed as, as Joe was maybe, but um, I certainly would agree with the assessment of the lines people. And uh, yeah, I thought the referee was not not the worst we've had this season. I'll certainly, uh, certainly go as far as saying that.
3: Moving on to any other business, I don't think there's anything else we need to cover, do we? Can
4: I cover something really quickly? I know it's we go, go on then just the fact that there were people man marking in that game and we were transitioning between the four-one, four-one. And then at times, depending on where Mumba was playing, Kunda would would drop in. And finally, you know, he was doing an excellent job defensively, the best he's done all season at times when he was playing further up the pitch. Mumba would drop in, uh, so you kind of had like the four-two-three-one with Mumba coming between the wide left and midfield, and then at times Kessler Hayden became the left centre back, uh, and Mumba kind of became a wing back. There were such, and and then Kane Kessler Hayden himself was inverting into midfield when the trigger was right. It was so impressive the tactical awareness that everybody was showing to sort of move move around to that uh, and know when they were to pick up each role against a team that was 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 passing and moving and spreading the ball as well as Sunderland was, I think was very, um, very promising for the future. Now that the team's got up to, to speed physically as, as as the squad themselves have spoken about, the fact that, that mentally they 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 were able to do that all game and do it so well was was really impressive to see the the transitions um when when they were necessary and that the team knew exactly when when to do it. Shuey himself was rearranging people during the game. Um, you know, it's just just really top tier coaching and understanding by the squad, and that bodes really well.
1: I think on, on on a related point, by the way, there should also be a mention for Mumba. I know it's a bit tedious to go through the entire squad saying how well they've done, but he's copped a bit of stick as we as we we've
3: done it anyway. See, just as well.
1: He, he's he's copped a lot of stick in recent weeks for not quite living up to the the hype where his performances last season or the price tag or whatever uh including a little bit from myself although I don't think I've been anywhere near the worst defender in this regard and I thought he had a really good game yesterday he should have had a goal to celebrate you know he really should have put that one away and, and obviously if he had we'd have I'm sure had a, a dedicated section on him earlier in the pod but what shouldn't go under the radar is he he created that goal that, that chance for himself it was it, the chance was effectively a one-two from inside his own box you know he's pinged a delightful little clearance out to Whitaker, which is totally intentional um you know could have just hacked at that and and put it out for a throw in or whatever but no he's picked out his man and then he's you know burst a lung driving up the entire length of the pitch to to be on the receiving end of Whitaker's eventual through ball and in the end he's just not quite got the finish right um he then had a couple of wonderful little jinking runs down the left-hand side that were kind of Huddersfield-esque um, particularly the one that set up the chance that eventually fell to Bundu, Just out of absolutely nothing. He's skipped past three or four defenders in attendance and put in a really good cross. I thought that was a performance that was much more like the number we were all so excited to see at this level, even if it didn't have a kind of goal or assist uh, next to it. And um, yeah, I felt that he deserves a shout out for that reason.
4: Absolutely. And he ran Roberts off the ball early in the game, sort of put a mark down. He did his defense, defensive job really well. Some A couple, at least two, vital um clearances out of the box one with his head sort of reading that the 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 last runner um uh, one you know sort of clearing away i think it was from from a a, a loose a loose cross that was sort of going going to, well to to anybody but thankfully he was he, he read it and, and was there so you know he did everything that yesterday really well every aspect of his job and he was asked to change basically play three positions at times uh, so you know he does sacrifice himself for the team for the functionality of the team being that guy who suffers for being able to do several jobs.
1: And um, and inside his own half as well, there were so many times he got the ball and you're just thinking, get rid of it or don't lose it here because you're going to set up a chance. But he, I can't think of a time when he did lose it. You know, he, he's phenomenally composed on the ball in kind of tight pockets of space, even at his own end of the pitch. So yeah, seconded.
3: Any praise for Matt Butcher whilst right? No? <laughs> Brendan Galloway, Sunderland legend, Brendan Galloway?
1: Uh Brendan Galloway came onto a football pitch. So well done to him.
2: A very, a very small, small note, and uh, it will be a small note, Aaron. I do think we do actually have to say it was it was good for Galloway to see him back on a football pitch on sat um yesterday. He's been incredibly unfortunate. Um, not just at Argyll, but with other clubs as well, um, with his injury record. So um that should give him a significant boost. Um, mentally and and physically to get back out there, and you know, he's hoping that his injury issues are behind him, and and now he can get a run of games, and and you know, if it's not at our goal, then he can certainly find himself a a place where he can go and play his football without being blighted by injury.
3: He's he's a player that I absolutely love, predominantly just for that um that wacker wacker charm. that Andy Davis, uh, who formerly of the quiz, um, who hasn't sent us one tonight, thank God, because it's already. A two hour pod People ask us for more content And we've done it There you go You've got it There's a, there's a few things That I'd, I'd like to cover In the any other business Obviously What about, what about Kane Kesley Hayden, Aaron We've covered him We've covered him in his little spat With uh, Luke 9 <laughs> we, We've covered it Um, I think we've even I think the only player We haven't really spoke about Is Ben Wayne And I'm sure We can we can leave that For, for Tuesday Wednesday's pod With uh, Mr Joe Bell Over on, on Twitter Formerly known as Axel Whichever way around that is in the week, it was announced that we sadly lost legendary striker Mike Bickle, who passed away at the age of 79. Mike was also a local lad um, who worked as a milkman and managed to notch 74 goals in 195 games for Argo. Uh Joe, you put out quite a nice tweet about Mike. Any, any stories to share?
2: Uh, I don't have any stories to share other than Mike was um, a lovely, lovely guy. Um, he. Um, He'd actually spent time playing on the Plymouth Dart circuit um in his his latter years. Um and he was a very easy guy to talk to um whenever you you played against him or he was just in the in the club with you. So um he was a, it's a it's a really good story, um, working as a milkman and then finding his way to to play for Argyle. And obviously his his career ended in in pretty um traumatic circumstances when he was at Gillingham when he was left um temporarily paralyzed um following a, an injury playing for Gillingham so I think I've got that right I'm sure I have um but yeah no really sad um obviously I'm sure I speak for everyone that thoughts are with the the Bickle family and things and um it was a lovely moment at the start of the game yesterday where you know the whole ground was um was joined in a minute's applause for him so uh yeah as as um the guy on the town i should know his name, really. Whoever it is who does the announcing at Home Park now. I—I I, the only name I do remember is when David Fitzgerald used to do it. He used to work for BBC Spotlight. Um, but he—he he made a, a good point about you know one of Argyle's most potent goal scorers and one of our most prolific goal scorers in his time here. So, um, and it was some—you know—he was playing at a really good a good time for Argyle as well. So, um, yeah, very sad, and you know his his legacy will be forever etched in in Argyle history and. There's plenty. I think there's a nice bit on Greens on uh yeah, greens on screen. I've got a nice um profile of him on there. So um any one of our younger listeners who perhaps aren't quite as aware of Mike's um playing career, then then pop over there because there's a a really nice piece on there about him.
3: From from one milkman to another, the next home game gets stoked next Saturday, second of December, is another Project 35 takeover. Um, the first of the season, with everyone being encouraged to bring items of in-date, non-perishable food. In-date is key there, I think. Don't bring, don't bring along anything that's the back of the cupboard. Um, they're predict- particularly in need of tinned food, UHT milk and toiletries. So, yeah, just do that. Financials. We filled in our paperwork and sent off to the taxman. Argyle's Head of Finance, David Ray, wrote to the Green Army to provide wider context and explain what the reports mean for Argyle's overall financial health. I haven't read it read it word for word. I feel like I'm going to go back to Joe here, but skimming it all, see we find any key findings. What we've we been spending our pennies on, Joe? Are we all good?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I th- I think so. I think um, we were sort of braced by Uncle Simon um, the other week when he he told us he revealed that we were going to announce a loss. Um, obviously, I think really in our heart of hearts, we all expected there was going to be a a cost incurred in gaining promotion to the championship. Um, And actually when you think of everything that's going on at Argo right now, 3.4, 3.5 million, whatever it was, actually isn't in the grand scheme of things, a a bad, bad summary. And you're right, David Ray's given a, a full, full breakdown of you know where the money's gone what we made money on and things and i I mean the standout figures are actually positives you know 15 million income a record for the football club hospitality sales through the roof superstore um takings through the roof you know it's um Although the, the key headline and I think the BBC Sport article says Plymouth Argyle make 3.4 million loss and made it out to sound like some great big horrific catastrophe. Um I think it's it's pretty clear why we made the 3.4 million loss. And in in the long term, um that 3.4 million loss is going to generate a, a significant profit for the club. So um whilst future accounts are more likely to signify losses just because your cost and your expenditure goes up the 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 more successful you are because you're paying your um, players more money to keep them here and you're signing players on lucrative transfers, etc. Um, I think we can be pretty confident in saying that the team that has been assembled in the boardroom at Argyle are in a far better place to deal with it than the team that were in place last time we were in the championship and things went to their head a little bit. Uh, they started talking about world cup bids and signing Belgian international strikers. And we're going to do that. We, you know, we're going to change the world and they got on their soapbox a little bit too soon. Um, I don't think anything like that's ever going to happen under Uncle Simon's leadership. Um, And of course we all have the chance to go along to Argyle on Thursday night, which I will be doing for the fans forum. I look forward to hearing um, anyone who does have any questions about the, um, I was going to call it a budget. Then it makes it sound like the chancellor's turned up with David Ray's turned up with a red box outside the the boardroom, but um, anyone can go along and quiz him on the finances and it will be really interesting to, to hear what people have to say, because I think it's a generally positive set of uh, figures. And um, we've said it a couple of times now that um, I don't think any club does their finances like we do it. You know, David Ray put in an amount, immense amount of time, clearly doing that report, highlighting everything that the money had been spent on every bit of income that we generated. So the openness and transparency that the football club has right now is a, is a real joy. Um, and whilst I'm not a financial expert, um, certainly my bank account shows I'm not a financial expert. Um, yeah. I would say that um, he's he's detailed it very well, and we've nothing to worry about because the fruits of our labour will come in a few years' time. So um, it's it's all positive. It's all good. That's the basic summary.
3: A couple of other little bits that we haven't uh, caught up on um jamie lowry's uh academy side coming back from a 3-1 uh deficit earlier Is that today was that yesterday who cares when you're listening to this it definitely wasn't today so drew three or with swansea um in some or rather but basically i made him sure
2: swansea of a higher category academy as well it should be should be mentioned.
3: Joe Bell is all about the
1: categories. Um, and swans, The Swans in question were still reeling from Joe Bell's karaoke and uh, therefore put in a, a poor performance.
3: Yeah, goals from Wilkes, Hatch and Saka. And whilst we're on other clubs, uh, other sides, sorry, Um, following a decision by the board of directors, Argyle saying they're delighted to announce that management and ownership of Plymouth Argyle Women Football Club will transfer from Argyle Community Trust to PAFC, effective from the start of the 2024 season. I won't go on about it, even though I think it's absolutely bloody brilliant news. Um, but there's a pod that the the club put out. They put out a pod as well. I didn't know if you know that. Um, go and listen to that. They, they, they talk much more in depth about that. Um, they they followed that up with a 13-0 win against Ilminster. I don't know where Ilminster is, but apparently it's nearby. It's in Somerset, I think. Oh, Somerset outdoors. Well, one of those two countries. They won 4-2 today as well, so they're through to the, the third round of the Adobe Women's FA Cup. It's class. Um,
2: Shall we call that a night? I thought Michael Cooper had a good game yesterday. We didn't touch on him either. Oh,
3: brilliant. OK, cool.
1: <laughs> and what about um, Adam Randall? Great
2: cameo.
3: That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argar Life. Before you go... Please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at ArgoLife1886. Cheers.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery.